Welcome to Simply Christian, a podcast diving deep into the essentials of the Christian faith, heresies, and everything in between. I'm Isaac. And I'm John. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, my brother. How are you? Fantastic. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. What are we uh, What are we talk about man, today? Man, we got such an awesome episode. Um, I'm really excited for you guys to be listeners and for us to participate in this, in this episode. So look, we're gonna, we are going to dive into something that is so practical that I can guarantee that you listeners have definitely had to deal with this at some point or another, probably even in the last couple of days. Um, uh, have you ever sat across the table from somebody who disagrees with your understanding of the Bible? I am right now. <laughs> Uh-oh, this could be an ugly episode. Um, we will demonstrate uh, what it looks like to disagree uh, agreeably here. But let, So the question that arises now is, when you're sitting across from the table from somebody who disagrees with your understanding of the Bible, how do you proceed? Are we supposed to pull out the sword and tell the person across from us that, look, man, you're a heretic and you're going to hell because you've got this doctrine wrong, repent and turn from your sin? Or do you just kind of ignore it? Do we throw our hands up in the air and just be like, look, it doesn't matter. I don't really know who's right or wrong here. There's no real truth. Um, everything is kind of subjective. How do we proceed? And look, I want to just ask you, Isaac, what are some ways that you have kind of built a construct to, to navigate these uh, these difficult circumstances where you're disagreeing with somebody who's sitting across from you? Yeah. So I would say the the main way, which is what we'll be talking about today without further ado, it's called theological triage. So if you've never, if you've, hopefully you've heard of triage before, triage is basically, uh, it's a medical term and it's a kind of a process that was invented to kind of categorize how serious a patient's condition was and uh, especially in war. So if someone's arm was blown off and they're bleeding out, They'd be like level one. Hey, we gotta get this guy <laughs> into mm-hmm. surgery right now. Get him taken care of. Maybe like a level two would be like a guy's fingers blown off. It really sucks, but for right now, you know, it's it's okay. Like he'll, you know, be patched up. And level three would be like he's got a scratch. You know, <laughs> it might get infected later, but you know, we don't really care about him right now. Um, <laughs> okay. So you know, just that kind of thing. So theological triage, similar idea. We're kind of categorizing different theological doctrinal issues to kind of gauge how important they are. I didn't come up with this term. I first heard it from Albert Moeller. Um, I think probably the only difference between me and Dr. Moeller on this is he, I think he just gives three categories, hence triage. I actually have four categories, so I guess it's quadrage. Quadrage. But it's not quite as catchy, so I think we'll go with, with triage still. <laughs> We're going to coin a new word here today on this episode. Yeah, quadrage. yeah, yeah. But basically, just to give kind of like a brief overview, then we can kind of hash out how this would play. Yeah, play lay out. this out for us. What does this look like? Yeah, yeah. It's quadrage. So, so there's four levels um, in my understanding of theological triage. So first level would be issues that are absolutely fundamental to the Christian faith. Um, you know, having to do with uh, God's character, God's nature, by what means we're saved. Mm. There are issues that you just can't disagree on and still call someone else a Christian in, in almost any circumstance. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that'd be level one. Level two would be issues that fellow Christians can disagree on, but they're probably not going to be part of the same church, the okay. same local church because of it. They're part of the same capital C church, the global church, but they're not part of the same 
local church because their disagreement is so practical and affects worship in such a way. That's just not going to, wouldn't work out very well. Level three issue is something that you could disagree about and still be a part of the same church, but it's something you'd want the elders and the pastors of the church to agree on. You'd want the leadership of the church, the teachers, to agree on these things just for the sake of unity. But members within the church can still disagree about it because it's not as practical. It doesn't affect worship as much or at all. And lastly, level four issues would be something that even pastors could disagree on in the same church, and it would be okay. So more trivial things. And so, like, let's let's talk about level one for a quick second, um, because this might be, you know, uh, before we started recording, we were talking about like a, a level one sword. You kind of pull out, and you're like, <laughs> "All right, I'm gonna have to make a line in the sand and just make it up front, so you know that." Right now, I don't see us as brothers. I, my heart is for you. I want you to turn. I want you to. I want to see eye to eye with you on this. But the way Scripture describes you in this scenario is you are outside of the the capital C church. You are not in the fellowship of the saints while continuing to hold this belief. And so, I want to speak into your life and actually do some correction, some emergency triage. Um, I don't know. Are there scriptures that come to mind where you see the Bible doing this? Um, because obviously sometimes people pull out this level one sword over, you know, uh, who, who they're going to vote for in the city council and they just really uh, separate themselves and ostracize another person. But are there times that the Bible will actually pull out this level one sword and be like, look, you got to be careful? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, first one that comes to mind is in First uh, John where it says, that if, if anyone, you know, denies the son, that, you know, that he's a Jesus, that he's the son of God, you don't have the father. I think of Galatians chapter one, where Paul says, you know, that there's not another gospel. And if you're preaching another gospel, then, you know, you're anathema, you're accursed, you're damned. So, I mean, those are some level one issues where the scripture themselves, you know, it pulls out, pulls out that sword and says, you are, you're not in fellowship with the father because of, of whatever that, and one scripture I also thought of just kind of, uh, what you, what you said about the church, like you're outside of the capital C church. If you, if you disagree on an issue, uh, Jude verse three says, beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So there is a faith, like not just like the faith as in like we trusting, but the faith as in like the, the belief system of Christianity. Um, there is a belief system in Christianity. There are doctrines in Christianity. Um, there is truth uh, about who God is and who we are and what we're supposed to do, things of that nature. The scriptures have set up certain things as essential, and if you don't believe them, you are not part of the capital C church. Mm -hmm. You're not a Christian. Right. In yep. a biblical sense. Yes. Yes. And so um, I think this frames up what I think is really important is, is that there are some who will say, look, we never pull out a level one sword. We just do our best to kind of just love each other and tolerate one another. And Jesus is love. And, and so at the end of the day, we just really got to just, just tolerate each other. Um, which in some senses, as we go down through the levels, we're going to see and how to navigate some of the truth in that statement. But to frame this up, that there are times when a Christian will need to pull out the level one sword and say, speak like Paul does, speak like John does, to say, 
It's a bold statement to say, if you don't believe Jesus came in the flesh, you don't have the Father. You don't even have the Father. That prayer you're praying, um, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be that. You don't even have that Father. You can't even start that prayer because you don't have the Father. That's a pretty strong statement. Or when Paul says, if anyone, even another angel, an angel comes, preaches another gospel, they're accursed. Let them be anathema. Like this is, you are under the curse, under the wrath of God by preaching a false gospel. Or J Jesus, even himself, you know, you see Jesus using these strong terms, John 8, 24. Um, Jesus says, therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am he. You will die in your sins. And so you see this strong terminology where it's like, all right, this, this hurts me to say it. I'm not joyfully just coming to pull out the sword and, and, and chop at you. But in great love for your soul, I am concerned and I want to bring out this level one sword and say, this is not something I'm going to pull out the small scalpel and do a little, you know, stitch work. I got to let you know up front, this is serious and this is real and this is a level one issue. Let me, let me, uh, let me say something to kind of poke at it, be a devil's advocate here. So isn't that, isn't that unloving though to, to, you know, maybe someone is really comfortable in their faith and their belief systems that they've developed and come to but it's outside of the realm of what we would consider level one orthodoxy. But, you know, they, they say they love Jesus. They're happy. They love the, the church that they go to, the local church they go to. Um, isn't it unloving to say that they're not a Christian? That is the, the methodology of the day for sure. And I think, it, um, I guess to just give some credence to that, um, that some people have placed truth to such a high degree that they could care less about the, the soul of another person. They are a heresy hunter, and people really have gone to such extremes with truth and swinging this level one sword and just chopping everybody's arm off. You know, um, we've got to be careful with that. So I see a, a reality to that that I want to acknowledge, but at the same time, I don't believe for a second that you can have true, absolute, genuine love apart from a willingness to speak truth. You know, um, a couple passages in John, it describes Jesus in chapter one as full of grace and truth. Not either uh, mutually exclusive to the other, but he's full of grace. Everybody knows that he can, they can come to him. He is approachable. Um, he's lowly and gentle, um, you know, uh, but at the same time, he's full of truth. And truth eventually really drove people to be mad at Jesus, um, angered with Jesus because he's speaking such unadulterated truth. Um, Ephesians 4.15 says, speaking the truth in love. Um, and so we get so many demonstrations of the scripture where you see in 2 Timothy chapter 2, um, Paul starts off and he says, um, the, uh, verse 24, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all and teach with patience when wrong. So notice the kind words, uh, not quarrelsome, kind to all, able to teach, patient, verse 25, with gentleness. Then he says, correcting. And this is where the truth comes in. He starts off with love, you know, all of this, you know, gentleness. We're not swinging the sword, you know, obliviously. But then he says, correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps, listen to this, God may grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and, listen, escape from the snare of the devil, having been ca held captive by him to do his will. And so we very much are called to... To, to use the truth as a sword, um, absolutely. But again, undergirded and surrounded, carried in a, a beautiful chariot of love um, and desire for the person's soul. Um, and so and, and so, I want to ask you, because this is I'm learning from you in this, I, I had never heard of this framework, this theological quadrage and triage. Um, 
how do we navigate now from a level one to a level two? Because you do see in scripture certain places that we can get into in a little bit where it happens. There's disagreement and and the scriptures tell us to not just pull out that level one sword. Um, I, moving into level two, you mentioned um, some things that they're still we're still grounded in the truth in, but I might not be able to do fellowship with you on a regular basis because of these things. What are some examples of this? And can you flesh out a level two kind of, and maybe in contrast to level one? Yeah, yeah, sure. So maybe this, so this would probably be helpful for us to kind of hash out before we do that, what we think belongs in level one. So if I were to just list a few things, I would say um, the deity of Christ, that, that Christ is God in the flesh. I would say the Trinity, the bodily, physical resurrection of Jesus, the uh, the return of Christ, that he is coming back to establish the new creation, and new heavens, new earth, justification by faith alone, not through works of the law. I'd say those are level one. Would you agree? Anything else you want to add to that? Absolutely. I think those are um, spot on, that these are some core essential things, um, like you, like you framed it out perfectly. It's related to the nature of God, but also related to the nature of salvation. Um, these are these are fundamental underpinnings um, yeah. to to who we are as believers. Yeah, yeah. So as far as like transitioning to level two, so before we talk about what we think belongs in level two, which is gonna be, that'll be fun um, <laughs> and probably <laughs> controversial. Um, I would say the biggest thing is uh, scripture itself. Does like we, we get to go to use the scriptures as our as our primary basis. So like the difference between level one and level two is the scripture itself will declare what is a level one issue. Correct. Right. Amen. Well said. So yep. the scriptures yep. say if you if you deny the Son, you do not have the Father, and that would be getting into salvation through Christ alone, mm. salvation like the deity of Christ there. Mm-hmm. Then justification by faith, like Paul says, if you try to be justified by works, you know you're yeah. you're condemned. You're yeah. still in your sin, right? Jesus didn't physically raise from the dead, First Corinthians 15. You're still in your sin. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Right? So yeah. like these issues, like we're not just making this up. This mm-hmm. is stuff that the scriptures are very clear about. Yes. Like if you don't believe this, you are not a Christian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Level two issues, though, are things that the scripture does not say that about. Although the scriptures from, depending on your tradition, you may think it's clear on the issue. The scripture does not condemn the person who believes or disbelieves whatever that issue is mm-hmm. so okay okay i would we'll, we'll go back and forth here a little bit on yeah. what we think belongs in this category yep. but i would put things like female pastors yeah in the okay. second category i think the scriptures are clear that it should be males only qualified and called males not just any male but specifically qualified um based on the qualifications in scripture and they're called but they have to be male i I believe that i think the scriptures are clear on that Mm -hmm. but i don't see the scriptures condemning that as like if you if you believe that females can be pastors (laughs) then i'm sorry you're out of the christian faith i don't see that in scripture yeah right right although i think it's important what's something you think i mean yeah and just to speak on that i think um yeah, uh, sometimes there might be some initial things that we see. Um, you know, the the old expression, if it looks like a duck, it sounds like a duck, it's, it's probably a duck. And I think there are some things that when you look at, you might say, all right, there's a female pastor. And 
potentially what goes hand in hand with that down the road, if I ask enough questions, is some other things that might lead to heresy. However, though, I won't look initially at a female pastor or a congregation that submits to a female pastor or female eldership um, and say they're innately anathema, you know, right off the bat. I think sometimes that that is indicative of something deeper, but right off the bat, absolutely, that's not something that strikes me as anathema right off the bat. But with the practical, to get back to the the essence of number two is, level two is that there's this practical thing that I might not think of you as anathema. You might be very sound in your doctrine, just in this practice, you're having a female or females preach each and every Sunday. That's going to be difficult for me to sit under because... I believe the scriptures, like you, are very clear on that issue, that the church is to be male-run, um, under the male headship of uh, within the creation order, which we can get into at some point. But that's going to be difficult for me to sit under a, 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 a female's teaching on the regular, because that's just, in practice, and while I may not think they're anathema, I'm going to have some some difficulties worshiping with you. Um, yeah. a, a, another example, um, infant baptism. I can sit across from somebody who believes in infant, infant baptism, and I have a lot of theologians that I would look to who I respect greatly, who I do not believe in infant baptism, um, but I think of them as um, sound in doctrine, and they get there in a way that I think is honoring to the scriptures. They're not just saying, oh, I believe in infant baptism because of my tradition, but the scripture, we don't even really listen to that. Like They get there in a scripture-honoring way. Um, and they don't say that it is a means of salvation. They're simply saying, this is what we are called to do, similar to circumcision in the Old Testament. And I don't agree with how they get there, and I believe that they are wrong, and that when we stand before Jesus, Jesus is going to be like, look, John Andrade was right. You should not have been baptizing infants, but still welcome into the kingdom of God because you are not preaching a false gospel. Um, And... I can still have fellowship with them. But again, if on Sundays they're baptizing infants, that's going to be hard for me to sit under that in a setting of worship on the regular when I'm like, you shouldn't be doing this, guys. Why are you baptizing an infant? We, we, we shouldn't be doing this. So I might not ostracize them and pull out that level one sword, but I am willing to call them a brother or a sister in the faith. I think kind of on the flip side of that, like imagine being someone who believes in infant baptism and you go to a Baptist church, <laughs> right? You're Presbyterian, go to a Baptist church and you want to baptize your baby. Yeah. They're like, sorry, we can do baby dedication. <laughs> it's basically, that's if you've ever seen a Presbyterian uh, infant baptism service, it's basically a baby dedication with water. That's uh-huh. <laughs> basically what it is. <laughs> so, it's like, yeah. sorry, if, uh-huh. I mean, if you want to like, maybe bring a squirt gun and kind of shoot them in the background and, yeah, yeah. you know, kind of whisper <laughs> in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then you can call it in baptism if you want yeah, to. Yeah, yep. you know. <laughs> they're, they're behind the scenes pulling the uh, the fire the, the, the fire alarm just to make the sprinklers yes. go off during the baby dedication. Like, ah, there was water involved. It's good. Um, but yeah, you're right. That's, that's important to think about because there's a whole other side of the table, even to the female elders side, that if they were in a complementarian church with male eldership, that a female who believes that women should be free to preach, and that scripture, all of those scriptures that we would say are very clear are, are not applicable in the way that we think they are, they're going to be like, I can't worship with these guys. I feel called to preach. Or I like when females are behind the pulpit 
why would I want to go here? I might not ostracize my fellow complementarian brothers and sisters in this local congregation, but it's going to be difficult for me to worship here. And so I think, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because there is a whole flip side that hopefully they would apply to us as well and not say we are heretics and ostracized from the fellowship of the faith for holding a different view. It's just going to be difficult to worship together. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's good, man. That's good. Um, Okay. So I think for me, that frames up level two. You know, we could throw other things in there, um, maybe divorce and remarriage. Some churches are very strict on once you've been married, you can never remarry and hold a permanence view. Other churches are going to say, you know, you can remarry and that might be difficult for practical application if there's disagreement within the church and you might end up finding another church to go to even if you don't think they're outright heretics. But that moves us into level three, though. Um, what dials down? How do we how do we wield a level three sword as opposed to a level two sword or a level one sword? Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, so I think the biggest difference between level two and level three of theological triage is level two is more practical with worship and you know it, it's going to be something that stares you in the face pretty much every time you gather with the church that mm-hmm. you disagree with. Level three is going to be more of like a philosophical or um, theological st- structural disagreement. Um, so, for example, um, I would say something um, along the lines of covenant theology versus dispensational theology. And if Mm -hmm. our listeners don't know what that means, basically has to do with the relationship between Israel and the church and how to view the scriptures as a whole, Mm -hmm. Um, the covenants, how do they apply to us, all that kind of stuff. Um, Those things affect how we interpret the scriptures as a whole and how we view things and Mm -hmm. how we view the relationship of Israel and the church. But it doesn't really affect practical worship like a worship service, like for example, um, a Baptist could be a Baptist that holds to covenant theology, and then there could be another one that holds to dispensational theology. But when they gather together for worship, the worship service is probably going to look the same no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe some of the emphases might be a little different, um, but for the most part, like the practical side of things, it's going to remain the same. Um, so level three would be, again, more like a theological construct difference that is important and does have implications for other areas of our theology and can get into practical things. Um, but for the most part, it's philosophical. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and I guess, um, so correct me if I'm wrong, so a couple like uh, things that could make a, a level three, um, help one recognize a level three issue would be if the essentials of the Christian faith the nature of God, how we are saved, things that we've talked about in the first category, the things that the scripture assigns a level one priority to, if those are unaffected, but there's disagreement, and practical worship and fellowship, things that aren't going to cause a complete disruption of the fellowship of the unity, those two juggernauts, if you will, essentials of the faith and the essential ability to worship together, as long as those two are untouched in a way that is overtly obvious that it could be a level three issue i guess is that accurate yeah to say? it could and be would you add any nuance to that or does that sound about right yeah well either level three or level four yeah or, yeah, yeah, yeah i, I think, know we I still have level really four good, to get to i think yep. it's a really good uh good way to hash it out because yeah if you have if you have the capital c unity and then the the lowercase c church unity like as far as practically speaking then yeah, it's probably a level three or level four. 
Okay. All right. Yeah. And I, I, I'm excited to get to some of the nuance. Right now, we're painting with a broad brush to just really advance this idea, which I think is holds 100% true. We'll get into some nuance in a little bit if you're wondering, like, what about this? What about that? Um, and maybe just one other thing, if we can just add a little controversy, potentially um, level three might be something like Reformed theology as well. Um, I can you know, be in a church with somebody who is Arminian or Calvinist or even some so form of two or three or four point Calvinism. And I believe that I can worship with them for me. And I know for some people, we'll get into how we differentiate and what happens if there's disagreement, but of what level to put these in. But at the end of the day, I believe that that's another example where I can sit and I can worship all day long with that person. And then we can kind of get in a round table and debate and be like, ah, you know, go at the scriptures. But at the end of the day, I'm not calling them a heretic, and I'm also not saying I can't do worship with you, bro, because this is going to be too disruptive to our fellowship. Yeah. I think for me, that's another issue like that. And again, I, some people disagree, but you know, yeah. yeah. No, I completely agree with you. I think I think that's actually a really that's really practical because right now the issue of Calvinism, Arminianism, provisionism those those things are like top of mind for for a lot of people, especially guys guys our age. That's yeah. you know that's yeah. very very common, um, but. The, the thing with level three, though, is you you do want the leadership of the church, particularly the pastors, mm -hmm. to be on the same page on level three issues. Okay. Um, and the I think as you go down, the line gets a little blurrier between them. So, for example, like the line between level one and level two, I think is pretty clear. Yep. The line between level two and level three maybe a little less clear, but with, given the framework of, you know, it's practical versus philosophical, I think that kind of helps. But between level three and level four, I think this is going to be a little bit more subjective, depending on where you are in your Christian faith and your understanding of things. So I know many people where the issue of Calvinism and Arminianism, that's like a level four issue. They could care less what people think on that. They're like, well, you know, at the end of the day, we all kind of believe the same thing, blah, blah, blah. So they don't care if their pastors disagree, whatever. I don't think that's wise. I think it is good to have maybe some clarity and and have the elders on the same page on that kind of thing, because it does have, you know, some, some serious implications, I think. Um, but it definitely, like you said, would not disrupt um, my, my fellowship with a person in the same, same church. If they had a disagreement with me on that issue, that's fine. Um, I think that that's okay. Like we get to focus on the heart of Christianity. Um, and then I think just grow together. And if, if we, if we instantly kind of cut off fellowship with anyone who disagrees with us on something, first of all, we're going to be by ourselves at some point <laughs> because I don't even agree with me most of the time, <laughs> let alone other people. So, yeah, yeah. So, you know, that, that would just be really foolish, I think. And, and also, what does scripture say? Iron sharpens iron, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. if, if we are just surrounded by people who agree with us on, on pretty much everything, we're just going to be in an echo chamber and kind of dull, mm -hmm. dull ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, and just, it's just going to cause division in the body and we're not going to grow. So it's actually really good to surround yourself with people who you disagree with. On certain things that that's going to be for a later episode i think yeah but yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. yes yes but yep. yeah so i would say that that hopefully wraps up level three yeah which takes us to level four so we get to level four um and you said like the lines get a little bit more blurry but uh, a, a marker that you had mentioned is that this is something as opposed to level three that there can be unity in the body what level three says 
elders should be in agreement over this because this is going to cause a little bit of turbulence if they're not. But level four, you said, could be an issue where the, the body disagrees, but even there's room for the elders to disagree over things like this. So give me maybe give me some examples um, and also flesh that out a little bit too. How can we really try to get a clearer picture between three and four? Yeah, yeah. So I would say um, with the, the level four issues, that would involve things that not only is it philosophical and, and it could actually be practical too but i would i wouldn't put like the color of the carpet in this i don't think that even belongs in, <laughs> in a category at <laughs> level all level 20 yep. if you're if you're listening <laughs> and you're arguing with a fellow church member about what color the carpet needs to be you guys need, just need to go with white and just <laughs> just <laughs> shut up cuz y'all need to stop talking um, but <laughs> but with with uh, i would say with level 4 something like um, the, the timing of the rapture or even is there a rapture, but even then, you know, might have enough implication to where that's going into a level three issue. Mm -hmm. Um, so I would say, you know, things like that or, or interpretation of certain passages of scripture that don't have a huge, a huge impact, or I would say Bible translation, mm -hmm. I would say, um, preferences there are almost always a level four, sometimes a level three. Like, for example, um, if you have um, if a bunch of the members in your church like to use a translation that is maybe more dynamic um, or thought for thought rather than more of a formal translation, I think that's perfectly fine. I think that's awesome. I think that's useful, right? But there shouldn't be disagreement that, like, oh, you guys can't use that. Like, that's gonna that's gonna hinder fellowship. Whereas, you know, maybe the other people like to use more of a formal translation. It could be a level three if maybe the elders aren't on the same page as that. And every time elder number one preaches, it's really in a formal translation. And then this yeah. other guy's preaching from the message or the, you know, yeah. something like that, yeah. where it's yeah. that could cause some serious disagreement and um, you know, some issues there. But I think with most of the time that's going to fall in level four. Just that's it's it's practical. I would mm -hmm. say it's practical, mm -hmm. yep. and it might even be a little philosophical as to why they, you know, yeah, believe what they believe and use what they use. But it really doesn't impact the worship of the church. It doesn't really impact your theological structures or philo philosophical structures of theology mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. yeah, okay. Which let's let's turn to some nuances because they're. There, I think there are occasions when sometimes a certain qualification can cause an issue to be more of a level two or a level one as opposed to a, on, on a lower level. Um, because we, we do see, like, let's talk for, uh, Romans 14, for example. Romans 14, um, the whole chapter, even in the beginning of 15, but particularly the first seven, eight, nine verses of chapter 14 in Romans, um, Paul says that there are some people who believe that you should worship on one day or have one day is above the rest. Everybody, Some other people think every day is the same. Let each be convinced in his own mind. He also talks about eating meat. You know, Some people feel like their conscience burdens them to not eat meat. Some people say it's fine to eat meat. Both are doing so to the Lord. Let each have freedom. Don't judge one another. And so this is maybe like a level three issue where it's like, you know, have fellowship with one another. Be uh, Have that Christian unity. Now, a nuance, though, <clears throat> um, is when somebody rises up and starts teaching this and says, no, you need to 
follow my conscience. Paul leaves the level three gloves on a little bit and he says, you know, if, if, if you have a conscience to not eat meat, that's fine. Have that to yourself. Don't judge your brother who's eating meat. But then you see something very stark and different in 1 Timothy 4. Uh, if I can just read the first few verses. 1 Timothy 4 says, But the Spirit expressly says that in a later time some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Now this sounds like level one sword right here. Paul is not just kind of leaving the gloves on. Now listen to the things that he talks about. He says, By means of hypocrisy, liars seared their own conscience as with a branding iron. Now listen, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. And then he goes on to say, for everything created by God is good, nothing should be rejected if it's received with faith. And so Paul is no longer leaving the, the level three gloves on like he was in Romans 14, saying, if, you, if your conscience is bothered by eating meat, then I don't want you to eat meat, and I won't even eat meat around you because if it's going to cause you to stumble. But if you rise up now and start saying, all of you Christians need to start eat, stop eating meat because this is what the Lord says, and now I'm putting this teaching on you, Paul all of a sudden will pull out a whole different sword. He puts he he puts his level three sword back in its sheath and says, "You got you're into doctrines of demons now." At this point, I'm no longer playing with a level three sword. It doesn't sound like a level two issue either. Doctrines of demons. Yeah, That's exactly right. Yes, this this rises up to a level, and so I think just an important nuance to to bring to the surface here is. Certain things, depending on the 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 vehemency, uh, how vehemently you are holding to a view. You know, if you if you're a pre-trib rapture person and you are now saying everybody's got to be pre-trib rapture, and if you don't, you're going to hell. All of a sudden, I might be like, I'm cool with you holding that view, and I might disagree with you. But now that you've risen up and now bound that on everybody else, and level one sorted everybody who disagrees with you now i'm gonna rise up and use a level one sword on you and say look man you got to ease that up because you are now doing much damage over something that is more of a of a lower issue um that you can hold to yourself personally and even stand in and say i'm right i believe i'm right on this but now you are starting to slay other people and now i'm gonna treat you a little different. And so I just feel like that's maybe a nuance that can be grappled with here, or maybe the the listeners can can kind of tease around in their minds. But I think that's just something that's kind of important that we also see in Scripture, where the same issue becomes higher or lower, depending on how, how vehemently the person holds it. Yeah, I like that. So basically, if someone takes a, a lower level issue and raises it to level one, causing division in the body, that then becomes a level one issue yeah. because it's causing division in the body. Yes, yep. yep. Yeah, and that's that's actually good. Like We didn't even talk about that, but having unity in the body of Christ is a level one issue. Jesus himself <laughs> prayed Amen. for the Lord, uh, prayed for the Father to make his disciples one as he and the Father are one. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the heart of Christ, that we would be unified. Um, so as much unity as we can have, the better and the more pleasing to the Lord we are within you know, as long as we're still holding the truth and what the scriptures say, it says unity around the scriptures. Um, yeah, that's yeah, a good that's, word. Yeah, that's good, man. That's a really good, uh, really good nuance. That's that's good. That's good. Anything uh, else on that? Um, well, I, I mean, I guess another one that we can toss around just for a second um, is related to um, sin. You know, there are certain things where I can look at a, a brother or a sister and be like, "Your doctrine is sound. Um, I would agree with you, and I can worship with you on a regular basis," but Suddenly, sin enters into the picture, you know, and it does with all of us. But let's say, for example, um, I'm a married man, five kids, one on the way, 
and I come to do this podcast with you or I'm sitting next to you on Sunday morning um, and I'm with another woman, outrightly, unashamedly, just in sin, um, what happens there where all of a sudden this is... Um, this, this person's doctrinally sound, you know, or probably not because they're, they're, they're getting involved in the sin, but all of a sudden now you see passages like 1 Corinthians 5 where Paul says, cast this person out to Satan. Not just because you, you want to and you're joyfully slaying everybody, he says, for the destruction of the flesh, but for the benefit of the spirit. You love this person so much that you're not going to have fellowship with them. You're going to let them feel the coldness of your shoulder as it turns away from them. And now it seems like it becomes this more lofty issue where they're doctrinally sound. They're professing the same confession of faith that you are and saying the same things on paper, but now there's this deep sin that's involved that they are unrepentant of. I don't know. Can you speak into that a little bit? Like, what are, do you have any thoughts on that or re- experience on that? Or I don't know, just what's going on in your mind when you think of that? Yeah. Yeah. So I would say I would call that practical heresy. Mm, okay. So if you, if that exact situation you just said happened, um, of course, what Paul says in the scriptures, you know, they need to repent. Like you need to call them to repent. And if they don't repent, then you cut them off from the body. And the church has the authority to do that. Cut them off from the body. You know, no fellowship at the Lord's table. There, we are to see that person as an unbeliever until they repent. That's, Super serious, definitely level one issue. Uh, as far as like experience with that, I do have experience with that. I grew up going to a Christian school and uh, a lot of uh, people that I grew up with that were younger or older than me who professed Christ. I mean, now I look at their life, they've either abandoned him completely or more commonly, they'll still profess him, but they are not part of a fellowship of believers. And very likely that's you know, because of, because of sin, they, they love darkness rather than light. They love their sin and it's convenient for them to not have to be part of a fellowship to expose that darkness. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, it's, so I would say that's definitely something I've, I've experienced where, you know, someone will love sin and, but still hold the same confession of faith. They would still call themselves a Christian, but their lives they're, they're such practical heretics that you just can't call them a believer mm-hmm. in, in good conscience. You know? Right. Because you know that if there's no fruit of the Spirit, you know, Jesus said, if a tree does not produce good fruit, like it's it's a bad tree producing bad fruit. Like the reason you have bad fruit isn't because you're a good tree that's having a bad day like or having a bad year. <laughs> it's like you're a bad tree. Yeah. You're yeah. a bad tree. When, when the Holy Spirit does a work in someone, he does it right. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and of course... That doesn't mean your Christian's going to be perfect. That's not what it means at all. Uh, it means that a Christian's going to be repentant. Mm-hmm. Amen. That's what it means. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. I love that, and I love the term "practical heresy" too. I don't think I've ever really like, you, if I've heard that, I haven't like grappled with it in my mind. But I'm going to stick that in there, and I hope that you guys, you listeners as well, will because yeah, there's something about doctrinal heresy, this orthodoxy um, that we need to hold, but also I think what's called orthopraxy. You know, um, where it's You've got right belief, but you also have right action. And you can very much be a heretic in practice, even if in doctrine you're not. So I think that's a very important thing. And I think that's when you see a level one sword pulled out. Like just a quick scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous, this is a level one sword you're pulling out, will not inherit the kingdom of God? That's a bold statement. 
Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Bold statement. But then Paul beautifully says this in verse 11. Such were some of you. You used to, but like you use that word repentant. People, people have repented from all walks of life, all sorts of sins and abominations, and have found grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. And he says, but you were washed. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. And so there's this beautiful picture of uh, the forgiveness that is found in Jesus Christ, even for those who have fallen outside of the level one aspects, that even if they turn from their sin, that they will find grace and mercy, sanctification, justification through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. Beautiful, beautiful picture of the the mercy of God. And I know that's off topic, but I think that's just wonderful to always talk about. Um, And I want to, so I want to ask you just real quick. So what, and maybe this is something for another episode. I want you to just, even if it's just plugging the next episode, but what if some Christians disagree about what a level, what level a certain theological issue belongs in? Because you know that happens. And what do you, yeah, go, what do you think? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Oh, man. So I think that's definitely something we'll have to really flesh out in another episode. But I would say in just kind of in, in short, if you disagree with another Christian about what level a certain theological issue belongs in, um, I would say, number one, like, love them, be gracious, pray for them. Um, but it really does depend on what category they're putting it in. If they're putting it in, if they're putting a level three or two issue in a level one, that's going to be really hard because if you express disagreement, they're going to consider you a heretic. So that's going to take a lot of prayer, a lot of patience, a lot of really tough conversations. Um, and honestly, it it might look like making this, and this is what it was for me. Let me just share something real quick. So the church tradition I grew up in was very, uh, I grew up in an independent Baptist fundamentalist kind of tradition where this category thing really didn't exist, at least not very, not very, uh, clearly, um, pretty much every issue is kind of labeled as a level one, maybe a level two, but there really wasn't a level three or four. And because of that, when uh, I, I just grew up in this circle where I was primarily just surrounded with this one way of thinking, this one Christian tradition, when I was exposed to uh, Joel, actually, our, one of our pastors at the, the church that we both go to, um, when I met him, we disagreed about a lot of things. And he was the first Christian I met that believed in Reformed theology and that used a that I saw was a serious Christian that used a, another translation other than the King James version, <laughs> you know, like, and I disagreed with him at first and it like definitely didn't change overnight, but we talked about our disagreements. Nothing really happened with that afterwards. I didn't really change my, my view at that point, but after seeing his life of just love and faithfulness and he, he wanted to spend time with me, we go get coffee, just talk about life, whatever. Like I saw his love and his devotion to the Lord, and it really helped open my eyes to see, wow, you can really love Jesus and disagree about some things, and it's okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say sometimes if you're in that position and you know, you're trying to reach out to someone that has put you in a level one heretic category when you know you don't belong there, I would just say love them and uh, you know, make sure that you're clear on your disagreements, but you don't have to bring it up all the time. Just hang out with them, love them, be their friend 
pray for them, um, send them scripture. Other than that, though, um, that's really just going to take some some real Bible study. If it's like a level two or level three kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know, you're just going to be like, hey, you know, we should. Why don't we hash this out? Why don't we, uh, you know, watch a couple debates together and <laughs> talk about it? You know, because <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know yeah. you, you're not categorizing each other in the level in level one, so it's not going to affect your uh, your fellowship on a personal level, really. Amen. So, okay, I'd say that. That's really good. That's wonderful. And I <clears throat> and and I guess just for you listeners too, um, we're we're laying some groundwork that we're gonna constantly refer back to um, in future episodes. And so if you're tagging along with us right now, you'll be able to understand some of the framework that we'll have going forward um, as we cover a whole lot of different doctrines and subject matter. Um, and we would just want to make sure that it's always on the forefront that we establish a category for the doctrines or the subjects that we cover. Is this level one, level one sword? You know, if you guys are video gamers, you know, and you play Zelda, like are you using a level one flaming sword? Or are you just kind of pulling out the, you know, the dagger here just to, or, or, or the scalpel to do minimal, uh, you know, surgery? Um, so we want to make sure that we frame that up in every episode. Um, but also, again, like we said in the last episode, in the last podcast is we really want to do justice to various sides. And so if we do cover, a, you know, dispensational theology or, you know, Mormonism or um, some of these things, regardless of where it is, we really want to do justice to so that you yourself can be very equipped in navigating these issues, recognizing things when they come up. Um, where does this fall? Level one, level two, level three, level four. How do I proceed? Um, and just kind of how to engage deeply with the subject matter at hand so that you yourselves um, can be equipped um, to navigate Scripture, um, to proclaim the truth of the gospel without wavering, um, not falling into subjectivity and saying nothing matters, um, no truth is really available in Scripture, we know that it is, and you can stand in the truth, but also have this uh, mindset of humility where we are uh, understanding where the other side's coming from and, and, and when, to, when to pull out the flaming sword and when to, when to leave it in its sheath. Um, so that's uh, something for you guys to, to, to remember going forward. Um, and yeah. Awesome. Well, that's all for today's episode. Consider subscribing for more Simply Christian content. And until next time.